Um, I am, first of all, I'm honored to be speaking up here again. Every time that I've done it, it has been a blast for me, and I hope that um, it's something that you guys have enjoyed and taken something from. I pray today that you guys would walk out of those doors different than when you came in. Um, and actually, I was supposed to preach two weeks ago, but Isaac uh, texted me and said, hey, would you mind switching, and you'll preach on the 18th, I'll preach on the 4th, and that worked out very, very well for me because we were in the middle of a move, and I don't know if anyone in here has moved before, but it sucks. And so, it, like, if you ever have to move, and what we're going to do next time, we're just going to call a moving company and pay them whatever they ask and, and let them do all the work because, like, I've... I've honestly probably moved 20 times in my life, and um, every time I would just call up a friend who has a pickup truck, and I would load all my stuff in the pickup truck and kind of let them do the work. I would help unload and load and stuff like that, but now I have been married for four years, and I have more than one pickup truck load of stuff to carry, and so I figured, you know, we, we triple the amount of people. It's me and Lauren now. Before it was just me, now it's Lauren, and it's a baby, and you think you triple the amount of people, you triple the amount of stuff, that's not how it works. You triple the amount of people, and you multiply the amount of stuff by like 400,000. So, especially when it's a woman and a baby, and luckily Lauren took charge, and she, we had boxes that were like color-coordinated duct tape. This one goes in the living room if it's green, this one goes in the dining room if it's Hello Kitty, and... It, we got we got it done. Oh. Anyway, all that to say, Isaac, thank you for switching me. It was convenient timing. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Sleeper Cell, and the idea of Sleeper Cell is, essentially, a Sleeper Cell is a group, whether it's terrorists or spies or whatever, they, they are, they kind of lay dormant or hidden within a community until they're activated. And when they're activated, that's when they finally attack. And the idea behind our Sleeper Cell series is that we as Christians, we as Church 214, are the Sleeper Cell. We, uh, we live in a society of darkness, and that's pretty clear when you hear about school shootings, and you hear about drug addiction, and you hear about uh, just the division that's everywhere, whether it's amongst races, or political parties, or gender battles, or... Uh, whatever. The list goes on and on and on. And so there's darkness. But our role as the church is to wake up and to become activated to attack the darkness. We aren't called to sleep. We're called to attack the darkness. And luckily, we serve a God of light. We serve a God of hope. We serve a God of peace. And we serve a God that's already won the battle between light and darkness. And um, the darkness has no chance when it's battling light. That, that battle has already been won. Um, as Chris often says, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. And the war was won on the cross when Jesus died. And on that day, death was defeated and we win. Uh, but it's still an important fight. We fight daily in these battles. And again, Sleeper Cell, this series is about waking up. It's about being a part of that fight. So uh, let me pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Um, I'm convinced that this is a church that is made up of people who have the opportunity not only to change um, the city, but to change the world. 
and I am thankful to be a part of that church. I'm, we're not a church that is asleep. We're not a church that um, is just sitting idly. We're a church that's activated to, to share the gospel, and uh, that's not just by our words, but by our actions and by the way we love people. Um, so I pray that we would do that today. Uh, God, I pray that you would speak through me and use me. Um, I am a broken vessel. I'm a broken person. I'm a sinner, but I am a deeply loved sinner, and I pray that I would preach truth today. Uh, may anything that I might say that isn't of you be quickly forgotten, but may the words that I say that are from you grow deep within the hearts of uh, the people that hear them. Thank you for your love for us. Thanks for all that you do for us, God. Amen. All right. Well, if you are anything like me, you hear sleeper cell and you hear that we are activated and we, we aren't called to be asleep and maybe you're a little intimidated by that because I know I am. I think to myself, that can't be me. That can't be me, someone who's activated to fight the darkness. There is stuff in my life that isn't where it needs to be for me to attack the darkness. There's stuff in my life that is still hard. You can tell me that the battle has been won. You can tell me that light has overcome the darkness and that we fight from victory, not for victory. And you think, yeah, but things are still hard. And uh, I get that. Um, Why does it feel like I'm dying at times? Why does it feel like there are areas in my life where these areas are just desert and they're dying and they're, they're dead? Why does it feel like there are areas when I'm just drowning? Why does it feel like I'm fighting a losing battle in some of these areas. And if the war against darkness has been won already, why are there still daily battles going on in my heart between darkness and light? And I don't know if that's you, but I I know that's me. Um, In my very own soul, it seems sometimes like Satan is a sleeper cell and not me. It seems like sin is activated in me some days and there are days when I, I wake up at 6 a.m. some days, and it depends on when Jet wakes up. Sometimes it's 5.45, which aren't fun days. Sometimes it's 7.30, which are great days. Uh, but some days I wake up at 6, and I read my Bible. I tell myself that I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I sp- tell myself that, uh, I tell God, God, I'm going to follow you today. I'm going to do whatever it takes to follow you today. And by 6.15, I've already turned my back on God. And it's like the sleeper cell of sin is activated, and it it traps us, and it entangles us sometimes. And it's not in every area of my life, but it's in some areas of my life. Some areas of my life are good, and I see light winning out and beating and defeating the darkness. But I also see areas of my life that are dying, and they're, they're stale, and they're old, and they're hard, and... There are some areas where the same sin wins out over and over and over and over again. And there are areas in my life that I don't even want to talk about to people. I don't want to share these areas that are dying in my life or or areas where the same sin wins out over and over. And there's areas in my life that I don't want anyone to know about. And again, they're just dying. It's like these these deserts. I picture the, the elephant graveyard from the... Uh, from the Lion King. There's just barren and bones. And some areas of my life, you know, are have, it's like spring. Spring is coming. These areas have life and grass and greenery and flowers. And then other areas are just this desert with bones. And um, 
I don't know if that's you, but I know that's me. And I would imagine that for some of you, there are areas in your life like that. And so today, I want to take us to Luke 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 8. If not, I'll, I think it'll be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 40. And just a little background, Jesus was in Galilee. He sailed across the, the Sea of Galilee with his disciples over to the region of the Gadarenes. And he was there, and that's where he expelled uh, a demon from someone. And that kind of freaked some people out. And so they kind of pushed him out, and he sailed back across the Sea of Galilee to Galilee. And um, this is kind of where we pick up. So it says, uh, it says, Now when Jesus was returning to Galilee, the people gave him a warm welcome, for they had all been looking out for him. Just then there, there came a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, who threw himself at the feet of Jesus and entreated him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. And as he went, the dense throng crowded on him. And so just to recap that a little bit, Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He's rich. He's powerful. He can probably get pretty much anything he wants. And um, his only daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, becomes sick, and she's dying. And Jairus, being the ruler of the synagogue, had some power, and he had some money. And so he probably could have gotten anything he wanted. He would have tried all the doctors. He would have tried all the medicine. He would have tried essentially everything that he could have to get his daughter well. And all these things didn't work. And finally, he comes to the realization that nothing is going to work, and his daughter is dying. But Jairus has one last hope. And he had probably heard stories of a guy named Jesus. And it's this guy that he eventually throws himself at the feet of and begs to come heal his daughter. And so there were stories of Jesus who had turned water into wine. There were Jesus, there were Jesus stories about other healings. He had healed a man with leprosy. He had healed a paralytic who was let down through a roof by some friends. And there were all other kinds of healings and miracles that people were talking about, all by this guy named Jesus. And so Jairus went and found Jesus. He sought Jesus out, and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus because he was desperate. And he pleaded with Jesus, please come heal my daughter. And Jesus, when you plead with him, oftentimes he goes. And so Jairus pleaded with him, and Jesus goes. He goes to Jairus' house. And then we pick up in verse 49. It says, while he was still sleeping, sorry, while he was still speaking, someone came to the ruler of the synagogue, to Jairus, from his house and said, your daughter is dead. Trouble the rabbi no further. Jesus heard the words and said to him, have no fear, only believe, and she shall be restored to life. So he came to the house, but, no, uh, but allowed no one to go in with him, but Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. The people were all weeping aloud and beating their breasts for her. But he said, leave off wailing, for she is not dead, but asleep. For she is not dead, but asleep. Here with Jairus' daughter, things seem hopeless, but they're not. Everyone thinks that Jairus' daughter is dead, except Jesus. And he says, she's not dead, she's asleep. Before Jesus got there, there was no hope. And then Jesus shows up, and there's hope. Over and over and over in the Bible, things seem hopeless, but they're not. There are countless times where things seem completely lost, and then Jesus shows up, and everything changes. And in our lives, in my life, 
I've seen it, and in our lives, when things seem dead, they're not. When darkness seems to have won, it hasn't. And when everything seems lost, it isn't. Because there's Jesus, and he's telling you, you're not dead, you're asleep. All it takes is Jesus to show up, and everything changes. So what areas of your life have you written things off as dead when in reality, maybe they're just sleeping? Are there, is it your marriage? Are there pieces of your life within your marriage that you think are completely dead, but maybe they're just sleeping? Is it your job? Are you at a point in your job when you're like, I can't take this anymore, I can't do this anymore, and that area of your life just feels dead, but it's not, it's asleep. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's something with your kids or your parenting, maybe it's your entire life. Are you feeling like you're dying? Maybe you're not, maybe you're just asleep. She's not dead, Jesus says, she's asleep. And then it goes on to say, and they jeered at him. The, the people who were there, they laughed at him. Um, knowing that she was dead. He, Jesus, however, took her by the hand and called aloud, child, awake. And her spirit returned, and instantly she stood up. Child, awake. Jesus is telling us, child, awake. Wake up. You're not dead. You're just asleep. This area in your life that you think is dead is not dead. It's just asleep. All it takes is Jesus to show up. That area that Everyone else is jeering at you. Everyone else is laughing at you and telling you, give it up. It's over. It's done. It's not dead. It's asleep. And all it takes is Jesus to show up. Again, maybe you think your marriage is dead. It's not. It's asleep. All it takes is Jesus to show up. Your dream, your hope, your aspirations, whatever those are, they're not dead. They're asleep. All it takes is Jesus to show up. And the Jesus didn't show up without Jairus going and throwing himself at Jesus' feet and begging him to come. And oftentimes, I think we just wait and we sit and we sit there and hope that Jesus comes without throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus like Jairus did. Jesus needs to show up in those areas to bring them back to life. And we need to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus like Jairus did. Because Jesus is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. I work with high school kids, and I want to tell you a story about a high school kid who, um, he was just kind of dead. He was just floating through life. When he was young, he, he had heard about Jesus. He had, heard, he had gone to church. He actually uh, went to church in, uh, it was kind of a house church in someone's basement, and he began to understand and hear things like church and hear words like Jesus and all these things. So he began to think he had an understanding of Christianity. But as he got older, he kind of understood that's not, that's not church, it's a cult. And so he was a part of this cult as he was young. And then later on, his parents got divorced and um, he was just moving around a lot and things were tough. There were times, there were summers when he had to kind of stick at home and watch his younger brother. Um, there were areas of his life, you know, when he would, he would come home and kind of to escape some of the fighting and things that was going on, he would go straight up to his room and turn on music and listen to music. Um, 
and he it was a huge soccer player. He would go to soccer practice and then come home and go straight to his room. And then one, uh, when he was a junior, he actually tore his hip flexor and was sidelined for a while, and he lost his starting spot. And so the one area of his life that he was really like excited about and encouraged about, that was kind of taken away from him. Um, and then he, as he became a senior, he was really excited to go to University of Illinois, and he had hoped that he had the grades and things because all of his friends were going to U of I, and he got a letter saying, you're rejected, you didn't get in. And so that was another huge pillar of his life that was just cut down. And then slowly all of these areas of his life became dead, and they slowly felt more and more dead. And so he would kind of just wander the schools and zone out through, through the halls, and he, he was just dying. There, there was this, there was this um, just kind of numbness about him, and, and he was dying. And all these different areas of his life were dead. And everywhere he turned for hope, whether it was soccer or whether it was U of I or school or whatever, those things seemed to fall apart. Uh, but luckily, he had some Christian friends, and these Christian friends came into his life, and they slowly began to kind of share Jesus with him. Or he, he saw what their families were doing. He saw what they were doing. He saw something different about them, and he understood there's something different about those people. And I think those, uh, that thing that's different about them is Jesus. And so one time on a, on a ski trip, he heard the gospel for the first time, and he came to understand the love and the grace that Jesus has. And um, he embraced the gospel, and he gave his life to Christ. And I can tell you that everything in his life changed because of that. He suddenly no longer felt dead, but he felt like he was woke up, child awake. He woke up, and his life that felt so dead, he began to understand it wasn't dead, it was just sleeping. And he suddenly... Uh, suddenly everything changed for him. And I can tell you that story because that's me. I was a high school kid. That was my story. I was completely dead and completely just cruising through life. And I thought I was dead, but I wasn't. I was asleep. And all it took was for Jesus to show up and everything changed. And I stand before you now alive. I stand before you now with a sense of joy and a sense of purpose. I stand before you rescued and redeemed and awake from the state that I was in in high school, but only because Jesus showed up in my life. Um, a few weeks ago, Heidi spoke and, and shared from Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, and there was, there's a verse in that that says this. It says, uh, Ezekiel 37.5 says, Watch this. I'm bringing the breath of life to you, and you'll come to life. In January of my senior year of high school, Jesus threw the breath of life back into me, and it was like my lungs filled up, and I could breathe again, and everything changed in me. That day when I accepted Jesus, it was like he put the wind back into my sails, and I came alive. I think of, like, Baywatch. I, I never watched Baywatch, but I think of that for some reason, like these people on the beach with sand on them, and they had just, uh, they're drowning. And then Zac Efron or The Rock or 
um, what's the guy's name, the German guy, the Hoff, don't hassle the Hoff. Uh, David Hasselhoff would come and pull them out and do mouth to mouth to them. And they're completely unconscious and dying. And then they breathe the breath of life to them, and then suddenly they cough up the water and, and begin to uh, regain consciousness. And just like that, they're back to life. And that, that's what I feel like I was in high school. I was dead. And Jesus took the breath of life and threw it back into me, and suddenly I woke up. Um, and that's, that's the visual I get kind of in how I feel about how it was when I was in high school. And there, there's a story in Matthew 14, Matthew 14, 22 through 33, about uh, Jesus walking on water. And Peter is a guy who, who probably could have drowned in that story. Um, I want to I wanna share that with you. Jesus isn't the only one who walked on water. Oftentimes we hear about Jesus walking on water, but what we don't hear about is Peter walking on water. Um, and so it says this, uh, it, well, let me just tell you a story. Peter and the rest of the disciples were on a boat, and it's night, and they see Jesus coming toward them across the water. And naturally, they're a little freaked out because there's a man coming toward them walking on the water, which I would be freaked out too. They kind of see this figure coming across the water, and they yell out, like, it's a ghost. But then Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. And so Peter, being Peter, he, he's always the one to do this kind of thing. He says, okay, Jesus, if it is you, tell me to come out on the water. And Jesus simply says, come. And so Peter steps over out of the boat. He probably very timidly puts his foot down on the water for the first time. And he nervously puts his foot down and he starts walking on the water towards Jesus. And he takes a couple steps but then all of a sudden he feels the, the waves crashing against his ankles and he feels the wind on his face. And he probably looks around and understands like, wow, I'm on water right now. I'm in the middle of a lake walking on water. And so he, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. And as he's sinking, the only thing he can think of to say at the time is this, Lord, save me. And it says immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately. He was drowning, and immediately Jesus caught him. There was no, Jesus didn't say, hang on, I'll get back to you. Jesus didn't say, not right now, I don't have time for that. I have to be Jesus to a lot of people. What he said is, what it says is Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. Peter is sinking, he calls out, and Jesus saves him immediately, instantaneously. Peter calls, Jesus answers, and Jesus knows when we're drowning, and oftentimes he's just waiting for us to say, Lord, save me. He's just waiting for us to call out to him, Lord, help me, save me. I'm drowning here. I need you. He, just like Jairus, throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Peter calls out, Lord, save me. I need you. Come help me. And these pieces of our life that are dying, whatever they are, our marriage, our job, our addiction, our whatever it is, those pieces that are dying are simply maybe because we haven't invited Jesus into them yet, or at least Jesus hasn't showed up there yet, like he did in Jairus's life. And so we need to invite him in. And I, I think this Peter of, or this story of Peter walking on the water, I think we can learn one more thing, because before Peter starts sinking, he's doing great. He's out on the water, 
and he's taking steps towards Jesus. And he is the second person in recorded history to walk on water. Jesus first, and then Peter, and then Chris Angel. But that was tricky camera angles, plexiglass, doesn't actually count. But um, I looked it up. It's not very impressive. But the first time I saw the video, I was blown away. But anyway, Peter and Jesus are the only two who actually did the walking on water thing. So Jesus is out there. Peter is walking on the water. Peter is taking steps towards Jesus. And then suddenly, when the wind and the waves and everything starts happening, he takes his focus off of Jesus. He starts to look down, and he starts to look around at the chaos and the storm around him, and he, he begins to sink. And so when his eyes are fixed on Jesus, when his full attention is on Jesus, that's when things are good. But when he takes his eyes off Jesus, that's when he starts to sink. And in our lives, when we take our eyes off Jesus, that's when we'll go under. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that the wind and the waves and the storm and the chaos around us is going anywhere. It's still there, but it means it won't overtake us. All that stuff still exists. The storms are still there, but when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, they won't overtake us because we have a God that is right there in front of us, reaching out his hand, saying, come with me, take my hand. He's waiting to immediately rescue us. I am a big fan of the Olympics, and the Winter Olympics just ended, and because of the move, we weren't able to watch as much of it as I would have liked. I would have loved to just plan myself in front of the TV and be Olympics 24-7, whether it was curling or cross-country skiing or uh, the good stuff like snowboarding. Um, and so uh, one part that I did get to watch was Sean White on the half pipe and him get the gold medal, and that was exciting. And you can ask Lauren, Jet was asleep, and I was doing silent, silent fist pumps, like, yes, yes, like in, in our living room, much like I was during the uh, Cubs World Series when Jet was asleep and Lauren was close to asleep, and I was dramatically fist pumping. Um, but... The reason that I'm such an Olympic fan, I think, is because, rewind back to 1996, and my first Olympic memory was Carrie Strug. Atlanta, 1996. I don't know if many of you remember this or not, but I vividly remember sitting in my living room with my mom, watching the U.S. gymnastics team, the women's gymnastics team in the all-around competition, and they essentially needed they needed what, a nine-point... Let me see, 9.493 to guarantee victory for their team. So they're in the hunt. They're actually in first place, but they need this vault. They could lose first place if Kerry Strug doesn't get a 9.493 on the vault. And the vault is where you run down this long mat, you jump off a springboard, you hit the vault, and do a bunch of flips and stuff, and then perfectly stick the landing. It sounds easy, I know, but it's not. Uh, so anyway, Carrie Strug has all this pressure on her because she's the last to go, and she has two vaults to, to get the score. And so the first time she goes, and she runs down the mat, she hits the springboard, she jumps, she flips, she does everything, and she comes up short. And so she, she falls, and she actually twists her ankle really bad. It was a third-degree sprain and tendon damage, and she gets a low score. 
And so she has one more vault. She's laying there on the ground. All the eyes are on her. All the pressure is on her. And she needs to get this vault, but she can't even get up because her, she's sitting there on the mat weeping because she knows the pressure's on her and she, she knows that she can't even stand. And she doesn't need to just stand. She needs to get up, go back there, sprint down the mat, hit the vault, and stick the landing. And so she's down there. She has a low score, and she has to do one more vault, but it's, it's not looking good. And so when she's lying there on the mat, there's a hush over the crowd, and she's sitting there crying, and she needs to get up and get a 9.5 on, on her last vault. And she knows, as she's trying to get up, she can't even put pressure on her leg. All of a sudden, kind of out of the corner, Bella Caroli, who's the world-famous gymnastics coach for Team USA, shouts out, Carrie, Carrie, look at me. I know that your ankle hurts right now. I know all the pressure is on you. I know that you're in pain. I know that you're in anguish, but I want you to keep your eyes on me. I want you to look at me. Don't look at your foot. Don't look at the crowd. Don't look at your circumstance, because if you look down there, all you're going to see is defeat. But you keep your eyes on me. So Carrie limps back to the start of the run, and she looks over at Bella Caroli, and she keeps her eyes focused on him, because even though she doesn't think she can get through this, she's trusting him. And maybe you know the rest of the story. Through her pain and through her anguish, she sprints down, she hits the board, she flips, and she sticks the landing. And immediately as she sticks the landing, she lifts up this one foot because she can't stand on it. And she salutes the judges. She turns and she salutes the judges. And she gets a 9.7 something and guarantees the gold medal for Team USA. And it wasn't because she had what it took in her, but it was because she had someone in her corner telling you, her, I know you're in pain. I know it hurts. I know it's not fun right now. I know it feels like there is no hope. But you've got someone in your corner who's telling you to keep your eyes on him, and you're going to make it through this even if you have to limp. And I don't know what you're going through, but if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, when the chaos around you becomes too much, he's going to be there with his hand out, waiting to rescue you immediately, just like he was for Peter. Uh, Romans eight thirty seven through 39 says this, Knowing all things, we are more than conquerors who, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Not a single thing is going to keep us from Jesus. Not our past, not our current circumstances, not the areas of our lives that we feel like are dying. Nothing. We are more than conquerors. And whether it's your marriage that you think is dying, through Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You think parenting is hard, through Christ, you are more than a conqueror. In our addiction, in our depression, in our sadness, in our pain, through Christ, we are more than conquerors. In every area of our life where we feel like we're dead, we are more than conquerors because of Jesus. And just like Jairus' daughter, 
we're just sleeping. We're not dead, we're just sleeping. And God is calling us to wake up. We lift our eyes to Jesus and we give it all to him and we hand it over to Jesus because it's only through Christ that we are more than conquerors. Apart from him, we're nothing. Uh, I have a friend named Corey, and Corey is a huge movie buff. He doesn't have Facebook, he doesn't have Instagram, he doesn't have any social media except this one nerdy movie app where you can like rank these movies and share with other movie nerds about what you thought about these nerdy movies and things like that. And, and so Corey is, and when I say movies, I'm not talking about like, um, you know, famous movies like The Avengers or things like that. I'm talking about like French foreign films that nobody in the Western Hemisphere has ever seen, but only these nerdy movie guys. Um, and so I, I took Corey, I convinced him to go see the new Star Wars with me a month or two ago. And it was funny because on one side of me was Corey sitting here in the chair next to me. And on the other side was my other friend, Eddie. And Eddie is the opposite of Corey. Eddie watches professional wrestling. So that's the kind of movies he likes. Like anything with the rock, he, he loves. And so Corey on one side, Eddie on the other. And it was hilarious because one time, like during the previews, there were literally two back-to-back -back movies that were previewed with the rock in them. And so Corey leans over in my ear and says, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and at the exact same time, Eddie leans over in my other ear and he's like, that looks awesome. <laughs> and so at the same time, two complete different things. Um, and I'm kind of in between that. I love action, but I also appreciate good directing and a good plot and things like that. And that's why one of my favorite movies is a movie called Saving Private Ryan. And I'm sure that many of you have probably seen or at least heard of Saving Private Ryan. But it's a World War II movie. And at the very beginning of the movie, it's this awesome scene of D-Day and the Americans landing on Omaha Beach. And there are bullets flying everywhere. There's bombs going off. There's bodies laying all over the beach. And at one point, there's this really cool part where the sound completely cuts out. And Tom Hanks, who's the main character, you begin to see through his eyes. Just He's kind of in this, in this um, fog, I guess. You see through his eyes all the bombs and the bullets flying. And you see a guy who had lost his arm literally pick up his arm and start walking around. And, and all this when the sound is out. And for a full minute, you're seeing all this chaos going around. Uh, going on around him with bullets and bombs and all that. And then finally the sound comes back in to some of Tom Hanks, who's the Army Ranger captain, um, some of his men yelling over the bullets and the bombs and asking him, what do we do now, sir? And it's, it, he kind of like shakes his head and the, the sound comes back on and the guy's yelling again, what do we do now, sir? And Tom Hanks tells him, we got to make it up the beach. And there's one guy who's kind of hiding behind some cover, and he's like, I'm staying here. And Tom Hanks says to him, after he says, I'm staying here, Tom Hanks says, if you stay here, you're a dead man. Because he knows that the only way to victory is up the beach. He knows that despite the bullets and the bombs, that the only way they're going to make out of this alive is up the beach. Victory isn't here. It's not here hiding and cowering behind this, this shelter. It's up the beach. If you stay here, you're a dead man. We got to go up the beach. And I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what areas of your life 
are feeling dead. I don't know what kind of bullets are flying at you or what kind of bombs are going off around you. I don't know what part of your life it is that's feeling dead. But I do know that if you stay here, you're a dead man. The only way to victory is up the beach. The only way to victory is pressing forward. The only way to victory is by fighting one step at a time with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's go up the beach because you're not dead. Maybe you're just asleep. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the way that you love us all the time. Thank you for bringing dead things back to life. Thank you for doing that for me. I'm alive because of you, and I'm so grateful that you did a miraculous work in my life. Thank you that your story of resurrection can be ours, that dead things in our life can come back to life. Thank you for this church. Uh, God, I pray with all my heart that the, the, the people in this room that are experiencing dead things, whether it's a part of their life or whether it's their whole life, I pray that you would resurrect those things just like you defeated death 2,000 years ago. God, thank you for your love for us and thank you for all that you do. Amen.